evidence and answers. Jesus and Muhammad are the leaders of the largest religions in the world. Muslims believe that Jesus was not the divine son of God, but another human prophet representing God. Muhammad is believed to be the last and greatest of God's prophets. How does the life and teachings of Muhammad compare with that of Jesus? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zukran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Listen now as Pat compares the lives of these two men and see the contrast between their lives and their teachings in a message entitled, The Cross and the Crescent. Well, it's good to be back here in Chino Hills at this church. Known uh, Ed and Mark and some of your staff for a while. As we begin, let's pray together. Lord, may things that I say honor you and give a clear understanding of our faith in Christ. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we're hearing a lot about the religion of Islam today. And I'm sure a lot of you have friends who are of the Muslim faith and interact with Muslims There's, as many are migrating here to the United States. And we're hearing a lot, mostly in the press, about the religion of Islam. Some of it is accurate, some of it is inaccurate. And so today we're going to go over some of the similarities, but also some of the major differences between biblical teaching and Islam. Now, everything we're going over, I'm going to go pretty quick today, but you can get on our internet site there at evidenceandanswers.org. Not only this material, but interviews I've had with Muslim apologists who have come to faith in Christ, Nabil Qureshi, Abdul Murray, and others. And if you have time, come on out and join us in Hawaii. Abdullah Murray, a former Muslim apologist, will be our keynote speaker at our conference there. But you can hear our interviews and many of our seminars from experts in Islam there at evidenceandanswers.org. But there's a lot of accurate information out there that comes to us from the media, but also many that are inaccurate. And one of the most prevalent myths out there is that Christians and Muslims, we worship the same God. I was sitting with a friend at lunch, an atheist friend, and he was saying, I don't, you know, I'm not religious. And I don't know what you guys are, are always arguing about. Christians and Muslims worship the same God. So I don't know what your guys' big beef is. Pope Francis earlier this year in February declared that Christians and Muslims worship the same God. Hey, do we worship the same God? How similar are the beliefs of Christianity and Islam? Well, let's take a look briefly this morning just at four areas. Okay, we're just going to look briefly at four areas. God, Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the message of salvation. Are we saying the same thing? Well, first, let's take a look. When it comes to the doctrine of God. Muslims believe in what we call a unified monotheism. There is one God, Allah is his name. As Christians, we believe in one God revealed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're Trinitarian monotheists. Okay, so they believe there's only Allah, one person. We believe there is one God revealed in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, the Trinity. Now, in Islam, the Trinity is blasphemy. 
Okay, it's one of the worst sins, okay, the sin of shirk, of blasphemy that anyone can commit. So when you're sharing with your Muslim friends, and should you bring up the doctrine of the Trinity, that's why they may react so strongly uh, when you bring up that particular issue. What does the Quran teach? Well, chapter 5 of the Quran says, they do blaspheme who say Allah is one of three in a trinity, for there is no God except one Allah. If they desist from their word of blasphemy, variously a grievous penalty will befall the blasphemers among them. Chapter 4 of the Quran, Allah forgives not the sin of joining other gods with him. He forgiveth whom he pleases other sins than this. One who joins other gods with Allah has strayed far, far away. Right? So that is one of the most heinous sins that one can commit is blasphemy in Islam. And the Trinity is considered a form of polytheism and a blasphemous doctrine in Islam. Then when you study the nature of Allah, is different from the nature of the Bible. Allah's love is conditional to those who obey Him only. He does not love the unbelievers. Chapter 2 of the Quran says, if you look okay, at numerous verses in the Quran, they ask thee concerning women's courses, say they are hurt and a pollution. So keep away from women in their courses and do not approach them until they are clean. But when they have purified themselves, ye may approach them in any manner, time or place ordained for you by Allah. For Allah loves those who turn to him constantly and he loves those who keeps themselves pure and clean. Chapter three, if ye do love Allah, follow me. Allah will love you and forgive you your sins for Allah is all forgiving, most merciful. Those who spend freely, whether in prosperity or in adversity, who restrain anger and pardon all men, for Allah loves those who do good. And if you keep looking at the verses throughout the Quran, you see that Allah, Allah's love is conditional to those who obey Him. And Allah is transcendent and remote and indifferent to mankind. In fact, the relationship to man and Allah is described as master-slave kind of relationship. In the Hadith, which is the sayings of Muhammad, narrated by one of his close friends, Umar, says, I heard the Prophet saying, do not exaggerate in praising me as the Christians praise the son of Mary, for I am only a slave, so call me the slave of Allah and his apostle. And that is the relationship described of men to Allah, master-slave kind of relationship. Now, you can see there's some very significant differences between Allah of Islam and the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is revealed in the Trinity, okay? the Great Commission, go and baptize in the name, one name, singular, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So one name, yet three persons, okay? And you have the definite article before the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. One name, one what? Three who's. It's a trinity. The God of the Bible is a personal God who desperately seeks a relationship with each one of us, and He loves unconditionally believers and unbelievers, and desperately seeks to have a personal relationship with us. Bible teaches, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. The world there refers to the saved and the unsaved. 
Okay, for God so loved the world, he gave everything that he had to rescue us from sin and death. 1 John 3, 1. So what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. Father is not one of the designations of Allah in the Quran or in Islamic literature. The intimate kind of relationship that we can have with God is foreign in the teachings of Islam. Jesus stunned the world when the disciples asked him, Lord, how do we pray? And in Matthew 6, Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. And he used the intimate term there, Abba, representing the kind of intimate, close relationship that we can have with God and that God wants to have with us, that we can address him as Father. The images of intimacy and closeness in the Bible, there's nothing close like that in the Quran or, in fact, in any other religion of the world. The prodigal son, right? How the prodigal son abandons and leaves his father with all the inheritance. And then each day the father is there waiting, looking over the horizon to see if his son will return waiting, anticipating, hoping that his son will return. And then when he sees his son returning, after having squandered all the wealth of the family, the father runs to the son. That's unheard of in Middle Eastern literature, all right? Even in Asian culture, right? Japanese, Chinese, Korean, right? The son comes to the feet of the dad. But here, the father, representing God the father, runs to the son and embraces the son. The intimate images of the shepherd and his sheep, how the shepherd knows them by name, knows their habits, watches out for them every day, guards them, provides for them, cares for them in very intimate ways. That imagery is foreign in Islam and in all other religions of the world. Hosea, the imagery there is a husband to a wife. Christ is called the groom and we are the bride. That kind of intimate, close relationship we can have with God is foreign in Islam. Then when it comes to Jesus Christ, who is Jesus Christ? You know, I was talking to a Muslim friend and he said, we worship the same Jesus as the Christians do. And I said, no, it's actually very different. Okay? And one of the ways in which we can reach our Muslim friends is also understanding, you know, the significant differences that we have. In Islam, Jesus is a major prophet, a man, not the divine son of God. To teach that Jesus is the divine son of God, the second person of the Trinity, once again, is one of the worst sins you can commit, the sin of blasphemy. Chapter 5 of the Quran states, They do blaspheme who say Allah is Christ, the son of Mary, but said Christ. Hey, Jesus himself says this in the Quran. O children of Israel, worship Allah my Lord and your Lord. Whoever joins other gods with Allah, Allah will forbid him the garden and fire will be his abode. There will for wrongdoers be no one to help. Chapter 9 of the Quran, the Jews call Ezra a son of Allah. And the Christians call Christ the son of Allah. That is a saying from their mouth. They imitate what the unbelievers of old used to say. Allah's curse be on them. How they are deluded away from the truth. So in Islam, to teach that Jesus Christ is the unique divine son of God 
is blasphemy, one of the worst sins that you could commit. Islam also rejects the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4 of the Quran says that they said in boast, we killed Christ Jesus, son of Mary, the apostle of Allah, but they killed him not, nor crucified him, but so was made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts, with no certain knowledge, but only conjecture to follow, for of a surety they killed him not. Nay, Allah raised him up unto himself, Allah exalted in power, and is wise. Hey, so they reject the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you can see the Jesus of the Quran is very different from the Jesus of the Bible. In the Bible, Jesus is clearly taught to be the unique, divine Son of God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Matthew 1.23, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the Bible clearly teaches that Christ died for sins and he rose again. And in fact, it's one of the most verified historical facts in history. On what basis, on what historical basis does the Quran deny the death and resurrection of Jesus? On what historical grounds? When I ask my Muslims friends, they don't have any. This is one of the most well-attested facts in history. We have tremendous compelling evidence of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have debated this on campuses all over the world, on radio, and professors far, far smarter than I have have debated this topic, and the evidence for the resurrection has never been beat. Now, the New Testament is written 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Christ. That's in the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. Legends take over a hundred years to develop. Historical research shows that. Why is that? Well, because all the eyewitnesses have to pass from the scene in order for legend to start creeping in and sticking. Otherwise, there's too many eyewitnesses who can verify your accounts as true or false. If I were to claim I have written the most accurate biography of John F. Kennedy today that the world has ever seen, I have written the most accurate biography. All right? And in my biography, I write, John F. Kennedy was taken to Parkland Hospital there in Dallas, Texas. He died. Three days later, he rose from the dead. People in the hospital saw him. Hundreds of nurses and, and doctors saw him. He began preaching at the steps of Prestonwood Baptist and First Baptist Dallas and at City Hall. Uh, Forty days he preached and he was taken up to heaven. Hey, and I went to Dallas today to market my book as the most accurate biography of JFK. How long, how long would my book last there in Dallas, Texas? Probably not even an hour, right? I mean, it's been what, 60 years? I'd be laughed out of town, all right? Why? Too many eyewitnesses who can verify my account as false. Well, the Gospels are written 20 to 30 years after the life of Christ. Paul's letter is even earlier. And they're being circulated, not in India or China, in the very land of Israel, where all these events happen. Where the eyewitnesses who could verify their accounts as true or false were still alive to scrutinize their work. And believe me, they were looking to stomp out Christianity. Okay, if there was any way to discredit the credibility of the gospel writers, the critics would have come out in full force and discredited them. The thing is, they did not. 
The Gospels could not have lasted had they not been accurate. You write a book. Write a book. I've written a few. The critics will come after you and your wife and your kids and your dog and your cat and your grandma and your ancestors. I mean, they'll come after you, all right, because you're going to be heavily scrutinized. These guys were heavily scrutinized because their message was not welcome in the land of Israel. So the Gospels could not have lasted had it not been true. Then we have ancient creeds, over a dozen. The most famous one is found in 1 Corinthians 15 of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This creed, we can date to within one to three years of the resurrection, even earlier than that. Way too early, way too early for legends to develop. The preaching begins just days after the resurrection. Where? In the city of Jerusalem, where the people who crucified Christ were still there. They're still there in power. And the apostles go into the worst, most hostile arena and say, hey, the guy you just killed, the guy right outside the city gate, he's the risen, resurrected Messiah. Bow down and worship him. Hey, it's not like the grave of Christ was in uh, Orange County. I mean, you go to Jerusalem. We just came back from Israel. And the old city of Israel is pretty small. Okay, it's, it's smaller than the county, you know, of Chino Hills. Christ was crucified right outside the city gates on the main road. I mean, it was visible to all. His grave was right outside the city gates. Not very far. Not very far. Uh, it's like me telling you, well, there's a guy who died and resurrected again. His grave is about half a mile from here. Easy for you guys to check out. There's no way the preaching could have survived just days after in the city of Jerusalem. Then we have non-Christian testimony, non-Christian writings. The Jewish Talmud, Josephus, Pliny the Younger, Tacitus, Julius Africanus, and others who are hostile to Christianity. But they affirm the death of Jesus Christ and that his disciples believed he had risen from the dead. Hey, we call this in historical work enemy attestation. And those of you who work in the field of law know when your opponent verifies your facts, that's some of the most powerful testimony in court. That's what we have here. The evidence is so compelling that even some of the most liberal scholars, John Dominic Crossan, Bart Ehrman, who deny 80% of the Gospels as fiction, they say that he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can be. That's one of the most, these are from the most liberal scholars, atheist scholars of the New Testament. So on what historical basis does the Quran reject the death and resurrection of Christ? I would say that is an error in the Quran, and that's major. That's a major historical error in the Quran. Why is that major? Because the Quran is believed to be the perfect book that has come down to us from heaven. And the copy that we have here is what you would see in heaven. Absolutely perfect in every way. No mistakes, no changes whatsoever here. Yet, we have several errors here. One of the most major is the rejection of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, one of the most well-attested to facts of history. Now, when you look in the Quran, it's interesting, though, and this is something to point out to your Muslim friends. Even in the Quran, Jesus is greater than Muhammad. The virgin birth of Christ is affirmed in the Quran. That Christ was sinless is affirmed in the Quran. In the Quran, Muhammad is told several times to repent 
and confess of your sin. He is called the Messiah. It affirms that Christ did many miracles, and prophets are confirmed by miracles in the Quran. And Muhammad in the Quran does not do any miracles. Jesus called the word of God that Jesus never died. His body was taken up to heaven. So even in the Quran, Jesus is greater than Muhammad. So you can ask your Muslim friends, wouldn't you want to study about this Jesus? And if you look at the Jesus of the Bible, there's even a greater contrast there. Muhammad only claimed to be a prophet. Jesus claimed to be the unique divine son of God and confirmed his claim through his miraculous, sinless life, death, and resurrection. Jesus fulfilled dozens of Old Testament prophecies written centuries before he set foot upon the earth. Jesus was sinless. Even his opponents could not point out any sin or wrongdoing that he committed. And Christ was not overcome by death like Muhammad, but instead he overcame death through his resurrection. The tremendous contrast between the Jesus of the Quran and the Jesus of the Bible and Islam's founder and the founder of Christianity. Then we have the doctrine of man, okay, human nature. Islam rejects the doctrine that man is born with a fallen sinful nature. Men and women are born innocent and remain innocent until they disobey Allah. Man does not have a sinful nature. He is weak and forgetful of God and needs the teachings of the Quran and the Sunnah. Adam sinned in the garden, according to the Quran, but was forgiven, and his act has no lasting effect on mankind. Chapter 30 of the Quran says, So set thou face steadily and truly to the faith, establish Allah's handiwork according to the pattern on which he has made mankind. No change let there be in work wrought by Allah. In other words, man is born innocent and try to keep it that way. But when one disobeys Allah, then one must confess his sin. Islamic theologians, for example, Qatar Rega, he writes this, although Adam disobeyed Allah, he repented and was forgiven and even given guidance for mankind. Man is not born a sinner, and the doctrine of the sinfulness of man has no basis in Islam. Ishmael Faruqi, one of the great theologians and defenders of Islam, wrote this. He said, in the Islamic view, human beings are no more fallen than they are saved. Because they are not fallen, they have no need of a savior. Because they are not saved, Either they need to do good works and do them ethically, which alone will earn them the desired salvation. So in Islam, man is not born with a sinful nature. He's born innocent. Therefore, he does not need a savior to pay the price of his sin. Each Muslim can earn their way to salvation. Okay? That's why it's a faith and works kind of salvation. The Bible teaches that we are born with a sin nature, that we are born sinful, and therefore we stand condemned before God. There is absolutely nothing we can do to earn our own salvation. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. 
Okay, the Bible teaches we're all sinners and stand condemned before God. Ephesians 2.1, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespass, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak at your church or Bible study, or perhaps even hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website at evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Let me live. Let me live.